The situation in Galatians is, is this. Um, in this region, which is roughly modern-day Turkey, the Apostle Paul has started numbers of churches. He started a number of churches. He's moved on. These churches are predominantly Gentiles, predominantly non-Jews, people that have converted to Christ out of a background of uh, all kinds of terrible and dark things and idolatrous worship. And they've come to know Jesus and they've, enjoyed, they've, they've experienced new life in Christ. And then as Paul has moved on, some other believers, in quotes, from Jerusalem, Jewish believers have come in. And they've really begun to say to these new Christians, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but that's not enough. If you really want to be saved, if you really want to be part of God's people, you've got to become a Jew. You have to be circumcised, and you have to live under the law of Moses as well. So Paul gets wind of the fact that these young Fledgling Christians who are very uh, impressionable are starting to undergo circumcision and become Jews because they, they, they've become convinced by this idea. And so Paul writes a letter of Galatians to demonstrate to them that this is outrageous because any time you try and add anything to the work of Jesus Christ in order to try and become truly part of the people of God, what you are fundamentally saying is, is that Jesus is not enough. That he's not sufficient, that his work is not sufficient, that somehow you have to add to it. And so this is the situation that he's writing into. This is the context of the book of Galatians. They've got into rituals, things like circumcision and food laws, and they've also got into being divisive. So there's, a, there's divisions in the church there. Until these Gentiles fully convert to Judaism, there's been a, a separation that's happened in the church, and the Jews and Gentiles are now no longer eating together in certain times, etc., etc., now, this is really important you get this, because whenever you begin to mess around with the gospel, whenever you mess around with the simple good news of Jesus, two things happen. Firstly, it goes wrong vertically. Your walk with God goes wrong. You're no longer walking in the grace of God. It becomes confused. It becomes heavy. Joy goes. And you start to think, it's not like it was. And then things happen horizontally. We begin to focus on our differences and start building walls between one another and these things because what we are doing is we are, through undermining the gospel, you begin to undermine the work Jesus did on the cross, which is that he broke down every wall so that in him we can all come together as one, one community of God. Okay? So that's what happens and that's exactly what is happening here. And so Paul is writing to correct this and to help them. And Paul, in his typical style, is not satisfied to simply say, stop it. He unpacks deep Tightly woven theology, which is what we've been going through. So um, we've just we've just come out of this terribly tense moment where Paul publicly confronts Peter for really siding with this wrong idea and creating division and being hypocritical. And Paul has this big conversation with him about what it means to be justified by faith. The word justified in the Bible it means that God declares you righteous. What it means that simply through faith in Christ, God declares you righteous. Paul's arguing, arguing for that, and then he goes straight into let me ask you a question. When you first believed, how did you receive the Spirit? How did you encounter the Holy Spirit? Was it through doing the Jewish law or was it through simply believing the gospel? Now, the question I firstly want to just look at is why does Paul go straight from how were you justified to how did you receive the Spirit? It's really important. Now, let me just help you. If you're a guest, you're new to Christianity and you're like, what's this guy talking about? I'll just really quickly lay it out so you understand what these two things are. Justification is a really important term to understand if you're not familiar with Christianity. Justification is a legal thing, and it's a, it's, it's a legal term 
And it's referring to the fact that when you become a Christian, from the moment you come to Christ, God declares you righteous. It has nothing to do with your maturity, your what godliness you've grown into. From the moment you call on the name of Jesus and come to know him, God declares you righteous. Okay? It's a legal declaration by God that is um, it's, it's objective in, in that sense. It's not necessarily something you feel. It's objective and it's because God is completely satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. In view of that, he declares you righteous. It's really important you get that. So many Christians don't get justification. They just, they just get this idea that they really want to please God now. And so they try and get themselves holy without this foundation of knowing that before anything happens, God declares you just. God declares you right. And so it all, it all goes screwing. So it's really important you understand justification by faith. But then you've really got to understand as well the coming on of the Holy Spirit, the receiving of the Holy Spirit. They are two sides to one coin. Now, there's big debates about, do you know, even in Christian circles, do you receive the Spirit as soon as you are born again, or do you need to be baptized in the Spirit? Do you, does there need to be a second experience? Is it an automatic thing, or does someone need to lay their hands on you? I'm not going to get into that today, because it's a whole sermon. But wh- what I will say is this. The Bible is clear that an uh, essential, central part of becoming a Christian is knowing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's less legal, it's much more experiential than what you might term familial. It's being, it's, you know I'm part of the family. The spirit of sonship comes and dwells in you, empowers you, and you know deep in your heart, I am a child of God. That is not, you must not view that as some kind of Pentecostal marginal thing. It is central to the biblical teaching of salvation that you know the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So justification by faith, where God declares me righteous. And then the receiving of the Holy Spirit. The, the, this, this, is, this, is, this is the heart of salvation. And it's really important we get this. Which is why I want to just read these first five verses that Mike Betts preached on the other week. I want to just read it again to make sure you really understand this is us. This is ours. This is our uh, inheritance in Christ. He says, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Very strong words. They've fallen into adding things to Jesus. And he says, you're bewitched. This is demonic. This is, a, this is a deception. Because it's subtly undermining the sufficiency of Jesus. Who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is hearing with faith, in case you're wondering. It's a rhetorical question. He's trying to take them back to their experience where they first encountered God. And he says to them, on what grounds did that happen? And they think back and they think, well, we were Gentiles. uh, And you came along and you spoke to us about Jesus. And we believed and our lives have never been the same since. That's, the, that's what he wants them to think back to, their experience. Let me ask you, if you're a Christian, how did you receive the Spirit? How did you first encounter God? On what grounds? You could have been five, year old, five years old, sitting by your bedside, and your mum or your dad led you in a prayer to, to give your life to Jesus, and you did so, and suddenly you, you just knew God. Wow, you just had that sense. He's coming to my, he's, he's, in, he's living in me now. He's never been the same since. It may have been that your growth has been very gradual, but you can point back to that moment. I want to ask you on what grounds? Was it a discussion about circumcision? 
Was it, was, it a, was it a conversation about the virtues of eating pork or not eating pork? Was it about the Jewish law? Was it about what you do? No, what was it about? It was about Jesus dying for you. And you heard that message and you believed this Jesus died for you and that he's rose again, he's alive and that he loves you and he cares about you. And you said, I'm in. Amen? And you were changed. That's what happened. It may have been as an adult. You may have got to the end of yourself. And you called on the name of Jesus. And from that point on, things you you were different. It may have been in a Christian meeting. It could have been in by yourself in a, in a room somewhere. It doesn't matter where you were, but you called on the name of the Lord. You trusted in Christ. And as a result, God saved you as he promises he will. And he gave you his spirit. This is central to the Christian life. And I really want to press it home and say to us today, guys, to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit is not marginal. It's not something, well, you know, the really excited ones can do that. Or the loud ones. Or those who like shaking. Right? Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not about shaking. Now, some people shake when they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Some people don't. That is utterly secondary. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is about assurance. It's about knowing I'm a child of God. It's that thing that no one can take from you because the spirit of sonship dwells in you. And you know, you know, you can argue me, argue me out of this till you're blue in the face. I know because I know because I know I am his. Only the Holy Spirit can mean that assurance. It's about desire for Christ. It's about just that longing for God. That's a supernatural thing. If you've got a longing for God in your heart, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's what he comes to do. It's about boldness. Are you able to look people in the eyes and say, I love Jesus? You cannot do that except by the Holy Spirit. You would be utterly ashamed and embarrassed of Christ without the Holy Spirit. You would be like Peter on the night when Jesus was arrested. You'd be denying him with oaths. You'd be running away. You'd be crumbling. You'd be hiding in locked up rooms. But if you can live in this world and and take the name of Jesus on your lips, you have the Holy Spirit. That's what he comes to do. And enabling. He comes to give it enabling. He gives, the Spirit comes and he gives gifts to us. He gives gifts that we have. They're not rewards. They're gifts. We just find ourselves supernaturally enabled by the Spirit to do things we couldn't do before. You know, sometimes there's just a massive enhancement that comes on our natural God-given gifts by the Holy Spirit. And whoosh! Other times you do things you actually, even naturally, are not gifted to do. I'm not a natural public speaker. I got up on stage to speak publicly when I was 14. I couldn't even breathe. I was doing that. I'm not that guy. It's the Holy Spirit. And so to, to live in assurance, in boldness, in desire for Jesus, in finding our part in the body of Christ and functioning effectively, that is not a sideline. That's central. So we need the Holy Spirit. And how, how do we get more of the Holy Spirit? Just keep believing in Jesus. Just keep on believing, keep feasting on Christ. The Holy Spirit takes us to Christ and reveals Christ to us. Then he, then he goes on. Now we get into verse 6. Okay, we're going to now just start to unpack it. So he's asking this question about how they receive the Spirit. And then verse 6, he introduces the subject of Abraham, a really important subject. He says this, Just as Abraham believed God, then it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is that those of faith who were the sons of Abraham, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Question. Do you wake up in the morning and consider 
your blessedness in light of your connection to Abraham? How many of you in the last year have woken up and considered your connection with Abraham and the impact of that on your blessedness? Shame on you. Shame on you, you wicked people. It's a funny old thing, isn't it? There are these things that are so distant in our mind that are so central to the Bible. And when we come across them, we have a choice to make. We can either say, I'm going to engage with this, slightly surreal as it seems, or I'm going to let it stay marginal. Abraham is absolutely key. So Paul brings it in here. He talks about receiving the Spirit, and he says, just like Abraham, he's like, what's like Abraham? This Abraham's thousands of years before. What's going on here? Well, I want to talk for a few minutes about Abraham, and you better listen, because your blessedness hangs on Abraham. All right? So it's really, really important. You want to be blessed? Of course you do. And if you know what blessed means, and those words, isn't it? You say, you want it, but what's it mean? To be blessed means to receive life joy from God. You want to be blessed? A bit louder that time. Right, okay, because you know what it means now. All right, so he points to receiving the Spirit by faith. Remember, receiving the Spirit always means God's accepted you. That's what it means. Justification, the declaration, you're all right. There's no longer any hostilities between us. We are now friends. The giving of the Spirit, the experience of the fact that God has declared you righteous. Okay, so the coming of the Spirit is always, it's God's God's saying, I accept you, you're mine. Just as you are, with all your funny stuff. And all your sin that you've still got to work through. You've come to Christ and I accept you and I give you my spirit. Hallelujah. That's what it is. And it's just like that for Abraham. God made promises to Abraham. Abraham believed the promises and God said, on the grounds of you believing my promises, I declare you righteous. That's how it was for Abraham. For Abraham there was no law, no Mosaic law. There was none of those things. Simply a promise. God, it came out of his tent one night. God said, look at the stars. He looked. God says to him, do you know what? I'm going to make your descendants that numerous. Abraham said, I believe you. God says, you're righteous. And it's, isn't it wonderful? It's just so simple. God made him a promise of blessing. He said, you know what? I'm in. God says, great, we can walk together. God promises to bless us in Christ. If we go, yep, God says, let's walk together. It's very simple. It's very, because it's, God loves faith. God loves faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. And faith, don't get, those of you that have got tender consciences at this point, you're starting to think, oh no, I've not got as much faith as so-and-so. Don't go there. Right? Faith is saying, God, you say it, I'm in. It's not starting to play games. You know, oh yeah, but you know, they pray for eight hours a day and I only pray for six. You know, it's not like that. Yeah? It's God, you say it, I'm in. God says, all right, we can walk together. We can walk together. It's beautiful. So, and we complicate it, don't we? Oh man, we complicate. We get all introspective. And I mean, I know I'm, I'm worse. In, apparently, in most marriages, it's the it's the the wife who tends to be more complicated. Not in this one. I, I, you know, seriously. You know. So, I, I, praise God for the simplicity of faith. So there's this wonderful blessing that's coming through Abraham's line. God says, "I'm going to bless every people on the planet through you." This is really important to realize because Abraham was like the father of the Hebrew nation. Yeah, after Abraham came Isaac, then came Jacob, who had the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. He's the father of the Hebrew nation. But God's promise to Abraham is I'm going to bless every nation, every people group through you, every clan. So the thing that came to Abraham in the heart of God right at the start was always much wider than Israel. It's a promise of blessing to the nations through Abraham's seed. That's the promise, that's the blessing to all the nations that Paul is talking about here in verses 6 
to 9. So I want to just look quickly at how this God has fulfilled this uh, in two ways. Firstly, we're going to look at in a minute is, okay, so, so if God's going to bless all the nations to Abraham's seed, and that's the Israelites, has, has that happened? We'll look at that in the next chunk. Okay? The chunk we're going to look at now is this, is that Paul says, do you know what fundamentally it means to be in Abraham's line, in Abraham's seed? Fundamentally, it's not about being Jewish. It's about being of faith. That's what it says. Verse 7. Know then, it is those of faith who were sons of Abraham. You see, in, no, in that, you've heard the phrase, chip off the old block. If someone's a chip off the old block, it means you're just like your mum or you're just like your dad. That's what someone means when they say that. It's like, well, looking at you, it's like you're a chip, but you're straight off that block. You're just, you're exactly the same. Cut from the same cloth. Sonship in the Bible is a lot about that. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect so that you may become sons. It's quite an interesting thing. We don't often look at it like that. We three say, hold on a minute, that sounds a bit like salvation by works. Be perfect as your father is perfect, then you'll become sons. He's not talking there, I don't think, about uh, becoming sons in terms of um, our position. He's saying, then you'll be a chip off the old block. Yeah, be like him, because that sonship is about imitation. So how, how do you become a son of Abraham? What did Abraham do? Believe God. You want to be a son of Abraham? Believe God. Say, okay, God, you say it, I'm in. God says, great. Why don't we become friends? Why don't we become friends? That's how it was. So, so the, sea, the, the line of Abraham, the line that is the blessed line, is those who believe. Paul is at labours to make that, particularly in this situation where these things come in and these Jewish believers are saying, you have to become Jewish because we're, you know, we're, we're Abraham's line, we're the blessed line, you're really blessed, you've got to be part of what we are. And Paul's like, hold on a minute. Those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. That's the key. He then goes on, verse 10 to 13. We're going to end on 14 today. Verse 10 to 13. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one's justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the laws are not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It's written, curses everyone who's hanged on a tree. So then Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, like, no, sorry, that's verse 14. We'll, we'll do that in a minute. We're going to end on that. Okay. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it's written, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. What Paul is saying is this. The whole system of righteousness by the works of the law is a cursed system. You are entering into a system which basically says you need to do every one of these things if you're going to live. And if you mess up in one area, you're not righteous. And the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means if we want to go down that road and say, okay, I'm going to make my own way to God, I'm going, to, I'm going to live in such a way so that when I stand before those pearly gates, I'm going to tell God why he should let me in. You're cursed. Forget witches and Ouija boards. This is a curse. This is cursed. To live that legalistic life. To enter into that law system. It's a system that ends in futility and condemnation. And I want to sort of shout it out to, to those even who would call themselves Christians. 
Those maybe who have kind of got into a thing of adding to what Christ has done and developing this thing of deep down, remember we looked at it a few weeks ago, you kind of really, the badge you wear isn't Jesus. The badge you wear is something else. It's your social standing or the stock that you come from or your looks or your talents. So you wear something else other than Christ. That's really where your confidence is. Or another way of looking at it, it's the rock that you stand on. Really, when everything else falls away, what are you standing on? It's not Jesus. If that's the case, you're cursed. Because the only name that will, be, that will move the heart of the Father on judgment day is the name of Jesus. Only he is righteous. He's the only righteous man to have ever lived. And we're told that he willingly embraced the curse of the law by becoming cursed for us. It's incredible. You think, what a terrible, what a terrible scenario. There's this, there's this cursed thing called the law. Jesus comes and says, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to become a curse. I'm going to embrace the curse of the law completely. So that all of everything of the law, the positive side and this curse of the law is all fulfilled in Jesus. That it comes to its climax in Christ. It's a beautiful thing because what you suddenly realise is this. Oh, there's Abraham's son. There's the true, we read that next week. Paul makes it clear. When God says through, through your seed, he was talking about Christ. You suddenly realise, he's the Jew. He's the true Israelite. So when Jesus says things like, I'm the true vine, you suddenly realise, oh yeah. All through the Old Testament, God talks about Israel as his vine and his vineyard. You think, Jesus, I'm the true vine, I'm the true Israelite. You see Jesus going to the wilderness for those 40 days. You think, what's he doing there? He's kind of like acting out, if you like, Israel's history of their 40 years in the wilderness and all the temptations come and he comes through it victoriously. What's he doing there? He is Israel. He is the true Israelite. He's fulfilling all of the promises in Abraham. And then he goes and he faces the curse of all of Israel's failure and sin on that cross for us. You think, oh my goodness, he's rescuing the whole of the promise of Abraham in and of himself. Isn't he amazing? <laughs> Isn't he? Oh, he's, re- he's brought the whole thing so that now we can step into blessedness with God simply by reaching out and being united which brings us to verse 14, the final verse. So that. All of these things have been done so that. I want you to notice four things. You thought it was near the, near the end, didn't you? Uh, so that. In Christ Jesus, number one. The blessing of Abraham, number two. Might come to the Gentiles, number three. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith, number four. I'm going to give about a minute long application on each. So that. Firstly, so that in Christ Jesus. Every, if you want to be blessed, you've got to be in Christ. He's the blessed one. There's nothing of blessing outside of Christ. There's nothing of blessing outside of Jesus. The Bible says all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. All the blessing of God is in him. All the promises of God are yes and amen in him. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You want to walk into the blessing of God? You've got to be in Christ. You've got to embrace Jesus for yourself. It's it's not enough to have been born into a family that embraces Jesus. Jesus said you cannot enter the kingdom unless you are born from above. You yourself need to come into Christ. You need to give him your heart and your life and your soul completely confident that he is the one. He is the blessed one. He is the one that can lead you into life joy from heaven. Jesus is enough, as we have called our sermon series. Amen? He is sufficient. 
And his desire is that we live out of rest in his completed work. That I live from a place of rest. Why? Because he has done it. Not out of a place of restlessness. Which is why Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 11. Okay, so in Christ, number one. Number two, the blessing of Abraham. What this shows us is this. I love this. This shows us 4,000 plus years ago, God made this promise to Abraham. It makes you realize, oh my goodness, God is true to his purpose. Please hear this. God is absolutely, entirely true to his purpose over many, many generations. I want to call you out of a flimsy view of God today. I want to call you out of this mentality where something goes a bit wrong and you begin to question the faithfulness of God. Please, let's step back and honour him who remains the same yesterday, today and forever, who fulfills his purpose over generations. Let's recognise we play a bit part in his story and it's, it's up and down but it always has been up and down for his people. There's seasons that are really, really tough. We mustn't begin to question the faithfulness, the integrity, the truthfulness, the sovereignty of God in those seasons. We say, God, you are bigger than this, and I will walk through what I need to walk through. I absolutely trust you. You are faithful to your purposes over many, many generations. So I want to call us out of restlessness today. I want to call us out of a really flimsy view of God. Thirdly, this blessing comes to the Gentiles. We don't get it. Christianity has been with the Gentiles for so long now, we don't get it. When it first came to the Gentiles, the Jews were shocked. Why? Because they were Gentiles, for goodness sake. Dogs. Without hope, without God in the world. No history with God. Running around after their vile idols and disgusting uh, sexual practices through their nasty dark worship and their occult fascination. This is, what, this is, where, this is where we came from naturally. It's what we are. Those of us that are gentle. You've got to realise this is shocking that we've been brought into this thing. This is incredible that we've been allowed in to this thing. But actually, now that God has done it in Christ, do you know what it means? There's no space for any isms in the church. Racisms, classisms, ageisms, colour of your skinisms. Whatever it might be, whatever you, whatever you might get a little beef about, there is absolutely no place for it in the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not pretending for a moment that the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ has nailed this one perfectly, but come on, let's start working on it with, with, with gusto, shall we? Yeah, let's come on. This isn't just, I'm not talking about some worldly thing where we all just sort of sit around each other and pretend it's okay and great, it's great. You know, we're diverse. No. I'm talking about the gospel breaking down Deep-rooted suspicion, deep-rooted fear, deep-rooted resentment, deep-rooted generational bitterness, breaking that down by the power of the blood of Jesus where we actually learn to find one another in Christ and say, you know what, I find you in him at, at my deepest point and at your deepest point and let's talk about how we can walk in fellowship together. That's what the gospel does. And that's what we want Jesus to build here, amen? Amen. Go on, Naomi, great moves. It's amazing. Stealth. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. 
Dave's in a dilemma over here. <laughs> Can we do anything to help? Or? No, 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 I just put on the <laughs> Nappy bag. Finally, in Christ, the blessing of Abraham, I come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Yes. Calling us out of restlessness because we've got rest in Christ. Calling us out of a flimsy view of, of God because he is faithful to his purpose across generations. Calling us out of isms because the cross of Christ breaks down every wall. And now I want to call us out of powerless unbelief. Because in Christ we get to receive the the promised spirit through faith. And we are to be completely released from this strange mentality that kind of limits us from entering into the full power of God that is ours in the gospel. This is huge. This is absolutely massive. God has promised in these days he wants to pray his spirit on all flesh. The normal Christian life is a life of faith, a life of the Holy Spirit, a life of knowing the reality of the presence of God, a life of knowing the power of God to walk out of life crippling scenarios, situations, a life, a, a life empowered by the Spirit to walk out of generations of futile behavior that has kept your parents and your grandparents in chains for years. You walk out of it. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. That is what, that is what God is about. And that is what God wants to restore to the church, the power of the Spirit. And the power of the Spirit is about more than just a warm feeling in a meeting. It's about being equipped to live for Christ. As we heard last week uh, in the wonderful service we had together about being empowered to be evidence for Jesus. The people will look at our lives and say, there is something different. Not just that you're nice, although it's good to be nice. But there's something, there is someone dwelling in you, overflowing out of you, is supernatural. That is ours in Christ. That is the, listen, that is the will of God. And you may have been in churches where the power stuff's gone a bit crazy and people start, you know, pray for you and push you over and all that. And, you know, if you've been in that world, I don't blame you for being a bit funny. I tell you, no one's going to push you over. But I tell you what, we will pray for you. And our heart's desire and expectations that the Spirit of God meets with you and does amazing things in your life. Absolutely. Not, not, in, not in such a way that all the problems are solved. That is not the promise of the Spirit. You feel the Spirit and your problems will be solved. No. Be filled with the Spirit and you will receive power from on high. Yeah? So you can walk out of unforgiveness. So you can walk out of unbelief. So you can, you can walk out of dark things that grip your life. So that you can actually be, you can actually be uh, how can I put it, fired up to get into the Word of God and get your mind renewed so you can be transformed. So actually you can be, you can receive boldness from God to reach out to other believers and stop hiding and say, listen, can we just actually fellowship? Because I need you to help me mature in Christ. And I'm going to stop, the, you know, just pretending everything's all right. And actually I want, to, I want some fellowship with some people. We need the spirit for these things. We need the spirit to actually start helping us apply the gospel to our lives. You know, gospel faith is not like an automatic thing. It's like you have, you have to apply the gospel to your life. There are things about your life you know need some work. You've got to apply the gospel there. We need the Spirit to help us do that. And I want to pray for you guys to be filled with the Spirit today. Is that okay?
I hope so. Why don't we stand? At this point, please don't become introspective. We receive the Spirit on the grounds of Jesus Christ. Amen? Remember, this is what it is. We look to Jesus. I want us to look to Jesus together. That's what I ask us to do. Let's look to the Holy Spirit. will open the eyes of our hearts so we can see him freshly. The Holy Spirit will empower us in this. So please, the last thing I want is any eyes really on me I just, or any eyes on yourself. Let's look to the Lord together, shall we? We'll just look to the Lord. Just take some time. Just draw near in your heart to God. I'm imagining that probably many of us, when we draw near to the Lord, we, we, we're not silent. We might give thanks or we might just praise and, or we might sing. Just where we are, I want us to just draw near to the Lord. Just imagine for a moment that you're by yourself, if you can. and Let's just be near to him and love him and honour him. Thank you, Lord. We welcome you. We welcome you. We welcome you here, Lord.